Hello and a very warm welcome to LPO Offstage with me, Yolanda Brown. This brand new podcast is offering you a behind the scenes, all access pass to one of the UK's great symphony orchestras and its musicians. And in case you're wondering what LPO stands for, it's the London Philharmonic Orchestra. Now I'm a saxophonist mixing the worlds of reggae, jazz and soul and I've always been fascinated by classical music and in particular how orchestras work. So when the opportunity popped up to host this podcast, I was there with bells on. In the coming weeks, I'll be joined by players from across the orchestra and they'll all be talking about life in the LPO, from in-depth musical insights to the unvarnished truths from the rehearsal rooms. You'll hear it all here on LPO Offstage. In this first episode, which we've called Life is a Rehearsal, well, it really is, isn't it? I'm joined by the flautist Juliette Borza and percussionist Andy Barkley. Now, I say joined, but in these COVID times, I mean joined over the internet, of course. I can see Juliet and Andy on the screen. Juliet and Andy, it's great to see you. Hi. Hi, Yolanda. Nice to see you. Pleasure. We're going to imagine we're in the South Bank Centre now and that we're just across the way from each other. Exactly. Uh, nice and relaxed. <laughs> There's nothing like being on stage and performing to an audience or to a streaming audience, you know, and that is your performance time. But do you ever get that spark, that magic live feeling when you're in rehearsal, Juliet? Oh, yeah. I mean, um, definitely. In fact, actually, I mean, this is probably a bit of a different circumstances, but when we came back and we all played together as the orchestra the first time in Festival Hall, we, we were doing Beethoven 5 with Edward Gardner and... The re- in the rehearsal I was literally my heart was just soaring I was just kind of like woohoo <laughs> we're back um, we're back it was so amazing and um, it was actually quite emotional but yeah so in rehearsals you can get that I suppose often in rehearsals there's a lot of stopping and starting which makes it more difficult to kind of feel the the journey of you know emotional journey that you might go on mm. in, a, in a concert that's you know the it's added the adrenaline adds something doesn't it the it buzz does. to it in the rehearsal you're playing it to each other for the first time which is a nice thing and sometimes rehearsals they sort of kick off a little bit you can tell that the conductor's deciding to just play through play through, and then it takes on that sort of uh, sort of intimate performance rather than performing it out and it can get quite um heated you know i mean in a good way it can yes. it can really and sometimes, you know, when you play a really epic piece and it ends with a sort of spe- spectacular ending, you know, there's a kind of tradition at the end when it finishes, everyone goes, like and, uh, you know, there's certain pieces like the end, you know, Marla, the end of Marla one and all that, everyone cheers. And I remember the conductor, Kurt Mazur, he was quite scary and didn't seem to, I'm, I'm sure he did have a sense of humour, but he didn't always come across having a sense of humour or whatever. The first couple of times we did something and everyone went like that, he looked a bit taken aback. Yeah, and what's one, going I just, on? One, I know, one day we were doing something, and uh, I think it was end of Marla One, and it finished, and everyone went Whoa, and there was this moment of silence, and Mazur looked at us, and then he went. It was really hysterical. And he really enjoyed it. You know, he enjoyed the fact he's, he's probably not allowed to do that in New York or yes, Leipzig absolutely. or whatever. That must be a lovely moment, though, because it's, it's quite intimate, isn't it? It's just yeah. you with, with your team and sort of really yeah. being jubilant in that moment. That, that's beautiful. I'd love to see that in person. You spend a lot of time together, either in rehearsals, touring on the tour bus. Is it all sort of roses or, you know, are there relationships to navigate? <laughs> 
I have to let the uh, the listeners know that we are on Zoom at the moment. I can see both Julia and Andy. <laughs> There's a little <laughs> nod there. So you tell the truth. No, you tell no. the truth. I would say these days it's generally, it's possibly, and I'm not just saying this because I'm a member and we're doing, I would say it's one of the friendliest orchestras on the planet. Wow. And I'm not, as I say, I'm not just saying that. It's one of the reasons I, I don't ever want to go anywhere else. Yeah. Um, sorry, lads. Just that's a, <laughs> I'm not people moving. sort of just screaming and crying into their coffee now. But there's a very, very nice atmosphere. It's a much friendlier atmosphere. If I go back 25 years, I think there were times in orchestra's history where it, it was more fraught and, mm. um, and other orchestras, I mean, there's orchestras all over the world. I mean, you do hear stories of people who've sat next to each other for 30 years but haven't spoken for 25 wow. years. And yeah, I don't know how you make music like that because you've got to be able to turn around to somebody and say, hey, that, is that right? Am I doing that or is it you? And you need to be able to speak openly like that. That does sound lovely. I guess you're all in the same boat. You understand each other, what's required of each other as well, so you can support each other in that way. You have had the chance to sort of play together, albeit socially distanced, and you were even playing last night. Juliet, tell me a bit about the programme and what the LPO is doing in terms of streaming live performances. Well, we've got 13 concerts um in the festival hall um, until December. Yeah. Um, and they're all, um, without an audience, all being filmed um, in quite an amazing way, actually. They're using brilliant lighting um, through the hall and kind of trying to film from angles, which obviously they wouldn't be able to in the norm when there's an audience there in the hall. And, yeah, it's, it's different. We're, we're sat further apart, of course, and there's lots of measures, you know, safety measures in place. So mm. it, it, it makes it kind of strange. And there's some difficulties that we've got to kind of overcome, I suppose, as we're, as we're doing it. But it's so lovely to play again and all be together and um, some nice programmes. Last night we were playing Schubert One. And what else were we playing? <laughs> um, um, Sibelius the Bard. Not a piece I've played before. Uh-huh. Um, and a Limburg Cello Concerto. And some Ravel songs. Mm, and yeah, I score yeah. extra points because I wasn't in any of those. And I, even <laughs> I knew what pieces we were playing. <laughs> it's a blur to me. And you're right. It does look absolutely stunning there in the festival hall with the lighting and the sound and the social distancing, of course. And you can catch those performances weekly on Marquee TV. Free to watch for seven days. Check them out on lpo.uk forward slash autumn 20. Here on LPO Offstage, we want to know what it is like to be a musician in such a prestigious orchestra. So being in the orchestra is your full-time job. What else do you do? You've got rehearsals, you've got your performances. What else do you do? What, what else has happened in a week? The, the, the big thing between, I mean, a lot of people who maybe in an amateur way take part in performance things, whether they're in amdrams or playing uh, orchestras or whatever the big difference is that they probably rehearse for a long time and then do a concert at the end of it and of course yes. we've got a very quick turnover we'll rehearse we'll spend a couple of days getting something ready and then we do it and then sometimes that you, that's it you've done it and it's you're on to the next thing so in terms of the schedule and what we do a lot of us do teaching as well so we fit other things in in the gaps in the schedule right but actually to do with the orchestra, it's, most, it's mostly rehearsals. Uh, you know, we get, in normal times, we get a schedule and it, 
it divides the week up each day into three blocks, morning, afternoon and evening. And sure. you, you might be on morning and afternoon or you might be on afternoon and evening and whatever. So you have to kind of look. And it, it will be rehearsals specifically tied to a concert. Sometimes we go on tour. So that can be like a you know, f- seven o'clock check-in at Heathrow and a concert that night in wow. Cologne or something. And um, and then we do, in the summer, we do opera at Glyndebourne, which is brilliant. Uh, we both love doing that, don't we? And then sometimes it's recordings, occasionally film sessions, things like that. So it's quite varied. Yeah. Um, even within just doing the rehearsals and concerts, that that could be, for me, it could be sitting there waiting to ting a triangle, or it could be an absolute nightmare of billions of gongs and all sorts of things. And do you enjoy that sort of variation? If it, if you have a day where you are literally sitting there for that one precious triangle beat? I suppose when I, 20 years, 25 years, I've been in the orchestra 25 years this month. Wow, congratulations. So, thank you. Yeah. And um, I suppose the first time you're sitting in the LPO playing the triangle in something and that's it, you know, it is quite exciting. I've done it quite a lot now. And I mean, the great thing is there's a piece, uh, let me think, like Brahms' Fourth Symphony. There's a triangle in the scherzo, so you have to sit on stage for the whole piece. But I get to hear the LPA play Brahms 4. Absolutely. And some people pay a lot of money to do that. And yeah. I I kind of get a kick out of that. So. Yeah, you're fulfilling your passion as, as well, which is it's lovely. And in rehearsals, is there ever a time that you've sort of learnt something that you could never have learnt anywhere else? I think that actually um, kind of every single day, every single rehearsal, I'm just like learning all the time uh, because I think... Being a musician, um, there's only so much you can learn on your own through practice and even in your lessons. I think it's definitely to do with playing with others and you're just picking up all the time on all these different things. You're soaking stuff up all the time, Mm. whether it's from other people's playing or whether it's about responding to other people's playing and kind of, you know, whether that's in tuning or listening or adjusting, balancing kind of tone colours, whatever it is, or whether it's from the conductor asking you to do something specific. And if I've worked with, for example, people who, if we're playing something kind of a, a more of an early piece of music and they're wanting it um, very, very stylistic, you know, no vibrato and kind of making sure that it's very, very well phrased and tapered and all the rest of it, or vice versa, someone who's wanting, you know, soaring lush melodies, kind of, you know, really huge sounds and having to build up that stamina of kind of being able to soar over the top of a you know a huge orchestra there's all these things that you just can't you can't practice that you can't learn it you know in your in your bedroom at home it's something that you actually have to be doing um all together and sitting in a in a hall with other people doing so I, I suppose I feel just generally that I'm learning all the time and um that's what keeps me going really I suppose and that's what keeps all of us in wanting to do what we do because it doesn't get boring because you're having to always kind of <laughs> try and try and better yourself so yeah I do remember one thing. Before I was in the LPO, I was in the Bournemouth Symphony Orchestra for five years, which was lovely. I think I was about 25 or something. It was Stravinsky's ballet Petrushka with a very respected conductor. I was playing the snare drum, the side drum, and I'd been working on this. There's an amazing bit. I could sing it and Juliet will know it. It goes... It's all in 5-8. And there's lots of snare drum. They're called four-stroke roughs. There you go for anyone who's... And you sort of go da da go ba like that. So yes. it's got a it's got a sound like <clears throat> And I'd got I'd always really enjoyed that bit. I had the record as a kid and I, I was working out I'd worked out a kind of new way of doing them and I, I could get them really loud and I was quite excited about this. And I was sitting in this rehearsal, kind of in my own world, 
getting these things louder and louder and I was just I was kind of getting off on the fact that I was really nailing it and then this conductor he just stopped and he put his baton down on the stand and he looked over at me in front across the whole orchestra he said young man this is not a snare drum concerto <laughs> and and I sort of reduced to about a tenth of my size oh, went no. bright red and thought actually you know what that's a, that was a fair fair comment kick in the ghoulies you know I knew that was required and I I sort of you know what I learned there is there's a there's a greater thing there's a there's the music and I needed to be told and uh it stayed with me that it's uh it's about trying not to have an ego in the introduction I introduced you by your instruments but actually you are both section principals too so what is the extra benefit or the added the added responsibilities that you have in being a section principal Andy I'm sort of unique in that when you're a percussionist, it can be sitting there with a triangle on your own, or you can have, I mean, I've done a piece with 15 percussion in it, and it takes an hour and a half to get everything on stage. And I have to sometimes decide how many players I need and get the parts organised. And I'm in constant touch with the library, music library, what we call the on-the-road crew, which is the stage managers and the and the transport people, because it's a bit like um, Thunderbirds. You know, they used to sort of decide what pod to put on Thunderbird 2, you know, if they were going to go underwater or they needed to dig underground or something. Well, I sometimes have to say, right, I need these boxes and that instrument and that bass drum, or actually tomorrow I'm going to need that. So a lot of my responsibilities as section principal are logistics. I, I have to sit and plan ahead. So playing... Is, is a part of it. And sometimes it feels like it's a sort of least important part. Yeah, you know, I've yeah. done all the work beforehand and then I just sit up and then hit something, you know, hopefully not one of my colleagues. <laughs> Sounds like the dream job, Andy. You. <laughs> You're yeah. painting a pretty picture. <laughs> and Juliet, with your section then, how does that differ? I suppose my role generally is, you know, playing the, the first flute part. I'll quite a lot of time it's busy and there'll be solos or lots of notes in it so um a lot of my time is um actually more preparation for it so I, I always have a stack of music at home and um just to kind of make sure I'm on top of it I mean it's it doesn't always work like that sometimes we're, we're so busy with the schedule that you know it just will get completely on top of me and I, I feel like I'm sight reading in the concert <laughs> but um I, I try to feel a little bit a little bit ahead of the game and have um done my homework on it yes and you've spoken about rehearsals. So again, I'm taking myself into what it's like to be a musician in the LVO. You've, you've now got this new piece of music. You've rehearsed it in your own time. You, you've got an understanding. You've turned up at rehearsal and the conductor wants something totally different. <laughs> How does that work? Are those rehearsals easy to get through? Do you just go with what the conductor wants? Can you suggest things? What is that like, Juliet? I try when I'm practicing to think of how I'd like to play something and how it might I might be asked to play something, you know. Yes. Um, and just have that in the back of my mind so that you know you just have to be open to how the conductor might be um, envisaging it. And then the best conductors are usually the ones then that have kind of a real sense of an interpretation or a story or whatever that goes with a piece of music, but then also allow you a little ah. bit of space within that. And that's, you know, they're the, the ones, the real greats. But um, I've been in rehearsals where conductors have said something that's really kind of tested the way I would prefer to play something. But I suppose, yeah, just being open to it. And often in the rehearsal, I'll try it. And sometimes I'm just like, God, that sounds awful. It just doesn't work <laughs> at all for me. I can't do it. And then I have to, you know, go back 
before the concert have just have some time find a bit of time to just kind of rethink it myself and how I can how I can make it work for mm. me um, and still feel kind of true to how I want to play it as well as um, trying to achieve what the conductor wants because at the end of the day that's what what we you know that's what he's there for getting paid for doing or yes. she, just being at the front there to kind of bring all of our ideas together and then kind of create something hopefully amazing out of it and take it take us on this journey so um, and have you come across any conductors that sort of maybe don't have the right tact or um, <laughs> don't have the right approach to be able to tell you which way to do it or haven't liked what you've tried to to bring to the piece so i sound like a really old fart now don't i well, 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 my <laughs> you, know, day. You, know, you can tell you know i don't look that old or maybe I do, he I does not no thank you for that um get your eyes tested um <laughs> I, I think there has been a massive change in conductors over the time mm. I've been here. It's sort of a societal change because I think I think there was a generation of people that grew up maybe in the 40s or 50s and learnt that you had to sort of respect your elders and do as you're told and authority and all that. And now we live in a more sort of egalitarian society. So I can remember as a kid that some conductors were absolutely terrifying and they seemed to treat the orchestra as a bunch of, of serfs who yeah. were there for their bidding, you know. And I won't mention names, but, I mean, there were some um, monsters. Mm. And when you're a kid, like I was, and, and you, you know, you look obviously like you don't know what you're doing because you you're only 21 or something. Yeah. Occasionally I got, you know, you got picked on and it's this you know so they'd ask um, you to play bits by yourself or change this in front of everyone I remember the the first week I was in the orchestra actually I was still on trial for the orchestra and I was playing I mean it doesn't sound very LPO but I was playing a piece that had maracas in it Mm -hmm. and it said on the part maracas and it said uh, mezzo piano which means like quite quietly so I was playing this thing and this conductor who was a nasty piece of work he just stopped and he said I can't hear the maracas. And then he looked to somebody older in the section and said, maybe we should get a stronger player. <gasps> right. And I was, even though I was 25, I thought, hang on, I'm not having I'm this. Not having so this. I just said, I could play them louder if you like. <laughs> and he sort of looked at me, how, how dare you speak back to me? I said, well, he said, you can play? I said, yeah, of course I can play them louder. You know, I'm playing twice as loud. Yeah. I'm just playing what's written on the music. And, and then I played them. And then he left me alone for, uh-huh. for the rest of the week. So, so that's... Um, I think the key thing these these days, I mean, conductors are more collaborative. And I think if they show that they've got real respect for the orchestra and the fact is the orchestra's been around longer than they have and there's a lot of people that have played music for longer than they've conducted it, blah, blah, blah. Mm. If they genuinely say, actually, can you try it like this? These days, I'm a lot less hot-headed about it. And I think, yeah, OK, I'll try that. Because, A, I don't want to play the, all the pieces exactly the same way throughout yeah. my career and then retire. B, I've realised that you, you know, if you stay the course, you do play a lot of pieces several times. So it doesn't matter once if you play a Mahler symphony and you're playing it in a slightly different way because mm. in a year's time you'll play it again. And um, genuinely, I, I've learned to do this, especially with some, you know, conductor like Vladimir Yurovsky, who's been here for 10 years. You know, at first he used to ask quite crazy things. And I was still, you know, a little bit like, oh, hang on, I know what I'm doing. Um, we've got we've got used to it now. And actually, I like a lot of the time he, he looks up and he says, no, hang on, can you do this? And we do it and it sounds great. So I'm, I'm happy to try that. It's made me a more flexible musician, actually. I'm a bit less set in my ways. 
And in your memory, Julia, is there ever a time where a conductor has either taken you out of your comfort zone or an odd thing has happened or asked to do something strange during during a performance and in the practice for it? Um, I've had to do various kind of odd things along the time, but um, Vladimir Yurovsky is quite interesting as a principal conductor because he, A, he comes up with really interesting programmes, I think, and he really wants to find every single little detail in the pieces of music and he's quite kind of true to his interpretations, mm. isn't he? Mm. So um, I remember when I very first started the job, I think it was my first tour with the orchestra in the role, we were playing Debussy, L'Apre Midi, and it starts with a, a big flute solo and... Um, I was obviously quite nervous. Feeling <laughs> <laughs> a bit stressed about moment. it. <laughs> yeah. I can and uh, <laughs> and he, he, in the first rehearsal, he said to, he was like, "Oh no, I'd like it to be, you know, because obviously flute players, you know, we practice this excerpt. It's been like, you know, in our in our kind of Study repertoire books, since, yes. since, yeah, exactly, since we were like really young and through college, and and then it's this thing of playing it, and um, and then the conductors kind of like they want it in a specific way. And you're like, okay, can can I do that? Can I do that? Okay, he he actually asked me to listen to some really early recordings of it you know and he was saying oh you know this is this was kind of Debussy was there with it you know and all that so he wanted a particular sound world he wanted it to sound very kind of much like it was actually on um, an early instrument on a yes. kind of a wooden flute or something and also a particular tempo he wanted it a bit more flowing he wanted the breathing in a different place it, wow. he wanted specific breathing and and so I did I had to go back a bit to the drawing board about how I approached it and um and then we went on tour and then and I remember in Frankfurt I think it was and we had um a Japanese player first of all playing a shakachi flute and he um he does an improvisation and, and we had to all sit on the stage um obviously in silence and a bit dark and there was a spotlight on the Japanese player playing his flute and then it segued straight into me playing the solo of La Bromidi yeah. and I was just sat there the whole time thinking <laughs> Oh God! Like you know, <laughs> like am I going to be able to do this? Um, you know, and it, I had this kind of pressure on me, and actually, I kind of, I actually did enjoy it. But I remember I was feeling quite stressed about it beforehand. Like you know, when he was playing, thinking, God, trying to like listen and get into that sound world of how, you know, Vladimir obviously was in had this in mind of how he'd, um, how it was programmed and all the rest of it. But how I was then going to interpret it and go into the flute solo um, yes. at the beginning. So yeah, just you know, that was that was interesting for me. It, oh. Just, it did take me out of my comfort zone a little bit, but um, but in, in a way, I enjoyed it at the end of it. And it sounded amazing. I remember that very well. <laughs> a lovely moment. I could just imagine you sitting there. <laughs> and yeah. what about when soloists come to join join the orchestra? Obviously, you're used to your outfit. You've you've explained to me that you're you're a friendly bunch. You all get on really well. You've got a lovely dynamic with your conductor, and then you have a soloist come to join you. Are there any? sort of soloists that have joined you that sort of tell you what to do or sort of want to be the star and that you're almost the backing band do you have to navigate that a different way as well Andy have you seen that um, I suppose I have I mean often the, the big concertos you know those are the pieces so the soloists turn up mm. they're often quite a lot of them I'm not in because they're sort of Beethoven violin concertos or Brahms piano concertos and things like that so there's loads of them I don't actually really really know very well there yes. so uh a confession but I find it's strange some people just walk in and they they're in a zone and they sort of play and they kind of notice the orchestra a little bit and and then other soloists really interact with the orchestra and get to know especially if you're on tour that's a funny thing if you go on tour and there's a concerto in the program this person 
is kind of traveling around with you and and you can over the course of a few days or a week or so get to know some of them quite well i actually don't know how they do it you know mm. when somebody sits down and plays a Rachmaninoff piano concerto it's kind of it's not even on my radar of how you do that mm. um so i've got enormous respect for them and and also, it's an interesting dynamic between the conductor. That's what I find sometimes quite, uh, yeah, we're no, knowingly nodding at each other. <laughs> that, um, you know, it's often, it's the conductor's show, but then the soloist turns up. Sometimes you can sense a bit of an artistic sort of wrestling match going on about who's, am I conducting this or are you playing it, you know. And, uh, you know, I, normally I, I think it's the, the thing is that the, the, you know, the soloist is the one with all the millions of notes to play and you, you kind of have to work around them. And I think the LPO, like any good orchestra, is, is a very great accompanier, mm-hmm. accompanist, because we, we also do a lot of opera in the summer. So we used to working with singers and, and singers really do, because of the sort of acrobatics they're trying to pull off, they have to have space and they have to have an orchestra that sticks to them like glue. And we, yeah. we're very good at that. So I think we're quite good at... Um, doing concertos but sometimes we feel like we're just watching a, a sort of a power struggle sometimes yeah. just occasionally <laughs> not always <laughs> do um, you rehearse in the same hall in the festival hall we are at the moment these, because yeah. there's nothing else happening in the festival uh-huh. hall but usually uh, we it would are, be somewhere else normally we'd rehearse elsewhere yeah yeah, yeah okay. just get in the hall on the day it's bon- it, london is a bonkers city okay yes. and uh there's a lot going on i mean Talk about whether we're viable or not. I mean, we're all run off our feet in normal times. Okay. We're full, and we play to capacity houses. So, I mean, that's a, that's just a thing. And and there's lots of people because the festival hall isn't just a classical music venue. It's they do they do graduations there. They do yeah. pop concerts. They do jazz evenings. Whatever. So there's lots a lot of uh, uh, demands on their time. So we often end up rehearsing in a different place and that has its own challenges yeah because that Uh, that that adjustment would be um quite intense as well because i've played uh the the festival hall for my own concerts Mm. i was there in Mm. february actually and so when you finally do get into the hall you've got the space and even the Mm. acoustics is different and what you've rehearsed sometimes you're adjusting as well during the performance yeah now that you've played there so many times do you kind of know that that adjustment is happening while you're rehearsing. So I'll play this like this now, but in the hall, it's going to feel like this. Uh, yeah, I'll, although it sounds different without the audience in it. I mean, ah. it's, it's, it's one of those halls that does actually change with audience. So, because um, they soak up kind of, you know, <laughs> a little do, bit yeah. of acoustic. <laughs> <laughs> so actually, it's quite nice playing without them. <laughs> get the full hall now, full acoustic. Um, No, so yeah, I suppose so, you you know, and often conductors who know the hall will say, oh, you know, when we're in Festival Hall, you'll have to play it differently. Very often we'll rehearse in Henry Wood Hall, which is an old church. So Mm. the acoustics there are generally much livelier than in Festival Hall. So usually a conductor might say, oh, of course, when we're in Festival Hall, you'll need to adjust this and this. And we will kind of all know how we might change things. And also, you know, Festival Hall is quite a, a big space. So projection wise we need to know what you're where you're going to and I suppose that's also changed a little bit with the miking because we're we're used to playing to the back of the hall always and now you're thinking oh there's microphones you know and again that's another balancing we're just kind of getting used to and changing the way we approach things perhaps because of that wow 
It's been absolutely wonderful hearing an insight into what it means to be a musician in the LPO and your your daily activities. And uh, I love all those anecdotes and stories that you've shared with us. And I know that our listeners will be remembering those things when we enjoy your performances for years and years to come. So Juliet and Andy, thank you so much for joining me on LPO Offstage. Thank you. Thanks, Yolanda. It's been a pleasure. Bye. What are we going to take out? <laughs> Sorry. We could talk all day. That's a problem. It was so interesting. <laughs> thanks for listening to LPO Offstage with me, Yolanda Brown. And thanks so much to Juliet Borsa and Andy Barkley for their brilliant insights into the life of an LPO player and what they're up to at the moment. A reminder that you can stream all the LPO's current concerts on Marquee TV. Just go to lpo.uk forward slash autumn 20 and you can watch every concert free for seven days. There's a new one every week and you'll see Andy and Juliet doing their thing. You can subscribe to this podcast, rate, review and tell a friend and you should and get involved in the conversation. You'll find all the links in the description of this podcast and use the hashtag OffstagePod on your social media platform of choice. Thank you very much for listening and do join me for the next episode, which we're calling Cling Film and Rubber Bands. Yes, you heard correctly. So I'll let you ponder on what that might be about. <laughs>